Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Amen. I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. You may be seated. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. As you turn there, I'm encouraging the entire congregation to read through the book of Joshua this month. And once you finish that, read through the book of Ephesians and Jude, encouraging everyone to read at least one chapter of the Word of God aloud a day. We're spending a lot of time in the book of Joshua this month and some of next month. Joshua chapter 1. If you want to follow along with my notes, you can find them on the Version Bible app, on the live event section for Faith Christian Center. You can download them and follow along with me and save them to your device. As always, we put all of our messages online at FCCGA.com and on our podcast so you can download them and listen to them for free so you can grow in the Word and grow in faith. So Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. Notice what God tells Joshua. There shall not any man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people you shall divide for inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that you may have observed to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Turn not from it from the right hand nor to the left, that you may prosper whithersoever you goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night, that you may have observed to do according to all that is written therein. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. Have not I commanded you, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you whithersoever you go. So we've been pulling things out of this passage this month and over the last few weeks. And one of the things I want to focus on this morning is the attention God told Joshua to give to the law. When we talk about the law of God or the Torah, it's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But we're going to focus on something in the book of Deuteronomy today. The book of Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law and contains Moses' last messages to the children of Israel. His last two great sermons before he dies. These were things from the law that God wanted Joshua to know and remember. Even though Joshua was there and heard all these things firsthand. So all these things happened. God said, I want you to read this every day every night because I don't want you to forget what you saw and there are things that I want you to know. And you might say, well, how does the law help us now that we're living under the age of grace? Thousands of years later, how could some things that God told Joshua back then apply to us today? Well, very simply, 1 Corinthians 10, 11 in the New American Standard Bible says, referring to the children of Israel in the wilderness and going to the promised land. Now, these things happen to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So what is Paul saying? What happened to them near the beginning of time was an example for us, and it was written down so that we can receive instruction for those of us who live at the end of time. We know we live in the last days. We know Jesus is coming soon. So there are things that happen in the law that God gave us for an example for us at the end of days and for our instruction. Meaning there are things we can still learn from the first five books of the Bible. There are things God wants to teach us from the first five books. So just like there were lessons that God wanted Joshua to learn as he marched past the horizon to possess the promised land, there are things that God wants you to learn as well. So go to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11. We'll start with verse 7. 
I encourage you if you missed any of our previous messages on Sundays or Wednesdays to go back and listen to it on the podcast or the website. Help you start your year right, especially if you're dealing with fear. This past Wednesday, we took a fear flush. And so if you weren't here, you need to download that message, listen to the message, do what we said in that message so that you can live fear-free this year. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 7. Moses talking to the children of Israel. But your eyes have seen all the great acts of the Lord which he did. Therefore, shall you keep all the commandments which I command you this day, that you may be strong. So one of the things God wants his people to be, he wants them to be strong. And go in and possess the land, which lets me know if you're not strong, you won't be able to possess the land. God wants you to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In order to receive everything God has for you this year, in order to not to leave the promised land on the horizon, you must be strong. Which means if you're going to remain strong, you have to continue to receive strength and can't always be around things that drain you. You have to value what's more important, you being strong or you being on social media all day. Because more than likely, you are not being edified the five hours you spend on Facebook. There could be some messages you like, oh, that's encouraging. Oh, that's encouraging. Oh, that's a funny video. But you keep going after a while, you see all the spiritual vomit people are spewing. And you have to learn how to cast cares upon the Lord, and you have to learn how to cast tweets upon the Lord. And y'all think I'm joking. I see tweets, I'm like, Jesus, you see this? This is you. This is what you need to deal with. Why? I'm not going to take a care. We'll talk about it more in this message. You take care. You take worry. And if you continually take it, it will destroy you. But as you'll learn from 1 Peter 5, 7, you have to cast every care upon the Lord because he cares for you. Every care. From the personal to the political, from the small to the great, you have to learn to give it to Jesus. Because if you carry it, you will not possess the promised land. You will not be strong. You will be in a weakened state. Where you go to possess it and that you may prolong your days in the land. God doesn't want you just to possess the promised land. He wants you to live long in the promised land. God wants you to live long and live strong. When you study the Word of God, it goes against the religious notion that there's only one time for people to die. You say, well, it says that in the Bible. Yes, it says there's once for a person to die. It didn't say what day it's picked out. When you read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are things you can do to lengthen your life, and there are things you can do to shorten your life. God wants you to have a long life in the promised land that he's provided for you. Which the Lord swore unto your fathers to give unto them and to their seed a land that flows with milk and honey. For the land where you go to possess it is not as the land of Egypt from whence you came out, where you sowed your seed and watered it with your foot a garden of herbs. But the land where you go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinks the water of the rain of so God shows a difference. You lived in Egypt for so long. You lived there for hundreds of years. You were slaves in Egypt, and you were used to surviving by what you could do. You were surviving about your ability. You're surviving by your wits. You're surviving by your hard work. You're surviving by your works. But you can't take that mentality into the promised land. Because if you behave like you did when you were in Egypt, it won't work out when you're in the promised land. That's why once you get saved, you can't do the same things you did while you're in the world that's not working out because you're not in the same place you used to be. Egypt's always a type of the world, and you can't act like an Egyptian if you're going to be a child of God. In Egypt, you survive by your work and your ability. But in order to thrive in the promised land, the land must receive the water of the rain of heaven. In order to be successful going forward, it's not just about how hard you work, even though God expects us to work hard, even though God expects us to work our land. You must have the interaction of heaven in your life. In order to be a successful Christian, it's not just about you doing all the things you can do to fulfill the Bible. You must have the cooperation of heaven on your behalf. Verse 12, 
this land is a land which the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year even unto the end of the year. So this word, this phrase cares for, when I looked at the Hebrew definition, it means to tend to, to go or visit a place, to frequent or to walk through. So this word implies that God himself visits this place and takes care of it. So the promised land is saying it's a place that God himself will visit and take care of. Your life, God doesn't want to just look at you from the throne way above. He loves visiting you, taking care of you. What do you do when we were worshiping this morning? He decided to come and visit. And see, when you pray, you come into God's presence. But when you praise and you worship, he comes into your presence. He wanted to visit us. He wants to take care of us. Verse 13. And it shall come to pass, if you shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I'll give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your corn, your wine, and your oil. And I'll send grass in the fields for your cattle, that you may eat and be full. What is this? In this land, God gives rain. Although God sends the rain, you must gather. It's raining, but you still must work your land. So in order to be successful in the place where God has called you, it's not just about you working your land. That has to be God involved as well. Verse 16, take heed to yourself. Pay attention to yourself. Everybody loves to pay attention to other people, but God says, look at your. Okay, somebody might be confused about that. Everybody loves to pay attention to others, but God says, look at your. That your heart be not deceived or tricked, and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. So you might think, how can they serve other gods? They've seen what God has done. They have seen him in a pillar of fire. They've seen him in a pillar of cloud. They've seen his miracles. How in the world can they turn and follow someone else? People say the same thing about Christians. How can people, once they've met Jesus, been washed in his blood, been forgiven of all their sins, been filled with the Holy Ghost, act like that never happened? Deception. What is deception? Believing lies. If you listen to lies long enough, you believe lies long enough, you'll live a life like you never heard the truth. Because sometimes lies are entertaining. And they don't always start as obvious, especially if you've been saved for a while. It's very slick packaging. It's very good marketing. It's really good satanic game. To make it seem like, oh, this is not that bad. See, Satan operates in half-truths. He'll take a scripture and twist it. He did it with Jesus. He says, it is written. Well, doesn't the Bible say? And so we'll twist it and post a meme. And he knows the culture today that people aren't going to research, but they believe a meme before they believe the Bible. Just because it's online doesn't mean it's true. The same thing you had to tell a generation ago, just because it's on TV doesn't mean it's true. But so many people are willing to believe a lie so they can disregard the truth. They're looking for something that gives them an escape where they don't have to do what God said. And so they believe a lie, they believe a half-truth, and they twist it, and they enter into deception, and they serve other gods. You might say, well, I don't, I'm not going to bow down to any idol. Well, you may not make a golden idol, but you put other things in God's place. That's still idolatry. You see it all throughout the New Testament. Flee idols. Avoid idolatry. What are you putting in God's place? Because God's supposed to be number one. And then he's supposed to direct every area of your life. So what do you invest more time in than you do with God? What do you make excuses for even though you know God said do something else? See, it's the will of God that you experience his best. But if you always compromise, you won't see his best. 
It goes on to say, talks about judgment or wrath. And what is the judgment or wrath? There's no rain, no interaction from heaven. That although you're in the promised land, it's not going to produce from you. And you'll die like you never went into the promised land in the first place. Do you know how many people start off good with God, walk with God for a little while, and stop doing the things that it took for them to get there? And then they were like, well, why isn't life working? They stopped working the principles that got them there. It's the same way like a lot of us have New Year's resolutions this year. Some wants to get fit. Some of us want to lose weight. Now, you know what happens? You can do the work it takes, and you can lose the weight and hit your goal and stop. But not too long later, it's all coming back, right? And maybe worse. Why? You stopped doing the principles it took to keep you the what you were going for. In the same way, when you walk with God, you have to keep those principles in operation because if you don't, you'll go back to where it was before you ever did those principles. That's what the parable of Mark chapter 4 is all about. When Satan sends persecution and affliction, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, lust of other things, what is it going to choke out the word? So there's no evidence the word of God was ever there in the first place. That's why many Christians walk around. You can't tell the difference from them and the world. There's no evidence of the Word of God in their life. They wonder, why is the Word of God not working? Nope, they believed a lie. Some come to Satan's five tactics. Now they look just like the rest of the world, wondering, where is my God? But that is the core question. Where is your God? Or more specifically, who is your God? See, even though Americans call it a Christian nation or a nation that has a lot of Christians in it, not every Christian puts God first. There are many gods in this nation, many idols in this nation. People bow down every day. The question is, who do you bow to? Therefore shall you lay up these words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be frontlets between your eyes. And you shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way. When you lie down, when you rise up, and you should write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. What is he saying? Keep the word in front of your face. Look for windows to tell your children about the word of God. Now, that doesn't mean that every time you get up, you got to yell a scripture through the house. And every time it's bedtime, you got to yell a scripture through your house. And every time you walk out the door, you got to yell a scripture. No. What it's saying is talk about the word of God throughout the day. Look for windows to compare life and the Word of God. So when you see some happening, you tell your kids, yeah, that's how this works in the Bible. This is what God meant when he said that. Oh, you love the stars? God created that because he loved us. Look for opportunities to teach your kids about the Word of God. So the time they don't hear about the Word of God is only when they come to church. No, they hear about the Word throughout their days. This is what happens. This makes them fall in love with the Word of God. You have to teach your kids to love God. You have to teach your kids to love the Word of God. Because if not, it just becomes a religious duty. Okay, we go to church on Sunday. Sometimes when we feel like it, when it's not too cold, when it's not too hot, when it's not snowing, when it's not raining, we show up at church sometimes. That's what they do if you don't teach them to love the Word and to love God and make it a part of their lives and make it their lives. Now, why does he want you to do these things? Verse 21, that your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers to give them as days of heaven upon the earth. God wanted them under the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, to experience days of heaven upon the earth. One of the things the Bible says in the New Testament is the Old Covenant was what it was. But the New Covenant of the New Testament is based on better promises. So if God wanted people under an old covenant to experience heaven on earth, how much more does he want you to experience heaven on earth under this new covenant? Say, God wants me to experience heaven on the earth. So we've been talking about this word horizon for a few weeks. A second definition I found about the word horizon is the line where the earth seems to meet the sky. The line where the earth seems to meet the sky. The apparent junction of earth and sky. 
When you look at the horizon, sometimes you just see the earth or the sea meeting where the sky is. And that's how God wants heaven to be in your life. Days of heaven upon the earth. Days of heaven upon the earth indicate heaven's interaction with those who dwell on the earth. A lot of times when we think of heaven, we think of somewhere up. But really, just go there in your mind for a second. If you took a plane or rock ship all the way up, where are you going? Space. Right? So heaven's farther up than that. But it's also another dimension. A number of years ago, a few friends of mine had a chance to meet the children of John G. Lake. A man of God, God used mightily in the turn of the 20th century to do miracles, signs, and wonders to manifest his healing power. And they had his Bible. And they said, hey, do you guys want to see what he wrote in the front of his Bible? And so they told me what they wrote, so I wrote it in mine. He wrote two things. You guys want to know? He said, is anything too hard? Question mark. And then, heaven is not that far away. Dot, dot, dot. So wait a minute. I thought you just said that heaven is higher than the space. It is. But how can this man of God say heaven is not far away? Because there's days of heaven upon the earth. Heaven's also another dimension. We're talking about dimensions crashing upon dimensions. Things that seem far away manifested just like that because your reality is you're living out of heaven, and wherever you go, heaven manifests on earth. When we say days of heaven on earth, we're expecting heaven's interaction, heaven's intervention, heaven's interruption, heaven's interacting with us on this earth. So look at verse 11 again. Now let's look at it from this mindset of days of heaven upon the earth. But the land where you go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinks water of the rain of heaven. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 37, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So we see the Old Testament, we see the New Testament. The land drinks water, the rain from heaven. We have to drink the spiritual water that comes from heaven from our relationship with Jesus. But coming unto Jesus and drinking a cup of water for refreshment for the day doesn't give you overflow. It doesn't cause rivers to flow. But if you stay with them long enough and you walk with them long enough, a river will come from you too. So this speaks to a consistent and continual relationship with Jesus. A consistent and continual coming into the presence of God, worshiping him, praying before him, reading your words so he can pour into you. What is this? Focusing on fullness. If you want to become rivers of living water, you have to focus on fullness first because once you overflow, that's where the rivers of living water come from. We said this year, you need to focus on fullness, which means you need to do whatever it takes to get the amount of words you need, the amount of prayer time you need to you overflow. Just not enough to get by. Just not enough to know, yep, I'm still saved. But so much that you overflow that it's apparent that you walk with Jesus. Not is it questionable. We said focus on fullness this year. Don't just drink enough to quench your thirst. Drink until you are full to overflowing rivers. Verse 12 says again in Deuteronomy 11, A land which the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year even unto the end of the year. If you're going to experience days of heaven on the earth, you must realize you have a caretaker. And he always takes care of you in grand style. Say, I have a caretaker. And he always takes care of me in grand style. First Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. The Amplified version says it this way, casting all your cares 
all your anxieties, all your worries, and all your concerns once and for all on him, for he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. Just like God cared for this promised land, God cares for you. But in order to receive the care of the Lord, you must cast your care. You must give God every worry, every care, every anxiety, everything that stresses you out. You must give it to him and leave it there. A lot of us have learned to give it to Jesus, but then five minutes later, we pick it back up again. What does that practically look like in the everyday life? You're stressing about something. You're worrying about something. You commit it to God in prayer. Father, I pray, give this to you. Your word says this and that. I believe for your answer. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've done that. You walk away. A few seconds later, that same thought you just gave to Jesus comes back. So what you can do, you can either take it. Remember, Jesus said, take no thought. So that means you take thoughts. Every thought that comes in your head is not your own. The enemy sends thoughts like arrows. So you can either take that thought and start worrying again, or you can say, nope, I gave that to Jesus. I'm not stressing about that. Remember we talked about in the weeks prior what God told Joshua in chapter 1, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, which means you don't break down in fear and anxiety. You can't break down if you refuse to fear. You can't break down if you refuse to worry. You can't break down if you refuse to enter into anxiety. You have to give it to Jesus and let it stay there. You can't be a professional worrier. That includes you parents. You can't always worry about your children. It's like, well, I'm not with them. That still doesn't mean you have to worry about them. It doesn't mean you don't think about them. It doesn't mean you don't pray for them. But you don't worry. Because even if they're with you 24-7, there's going to come a day when they're not with you. And so if you're worrying about them when they're with you all the time, what are you going to do when they're outside of your sight? You'll be in fear. You'll be in worry just like Job. So you have to get in the practice now. It's like, you know what, God? I'm not going to be afraid of them, about what happens to them. I trust you with them. I plead the blood of Jesus over them. Say, I bind you. You can't touch my kids. When they go for your presence, you plead the blood over them and expect God to watch over them. Now, you do follow your spirit and you do use wisdom. You don't just take them everywhere. Well, God says he's going to take care of my kids, so let's go to this place or the other. No. Use wisdom. God has given you a brain. Please use it. But don't enter into worry and fear. Cast your care upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Take no thought. Remember, Paul told us to think on things that are good, that are lovely, that are pure, of a good report. Things that are praiseworthy. If you're going to experience God's best on the earth, you must take control of your mind. One of the things it talks about Deuteronomy 28, the curse of the law, it talks about mental health problems. It talks about emotional problems are under the curse. You don't have to yield to mental health issues. Because Galatians 3.13 says you are redeemed from the curse of the law. So you are redeemed from depression. You are redeemed from mental health issues. You are redeemed from anxiety. You are redeemed from an anxious heart and an anxious mind. You are redeemed, and the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord. So when things try to come upon you, enough, I'm redeemed for that. I refuse to take it. That doesn't belong to me. Jesus redeemed me from the curse of the law. Go to verse 13 of Deuteronomy 11 again. If you're going to experience heaven on earth, you must listen and obey the word of God and follow the leading of his spirit. Verse 13 in chapter 11. And it shall come to pass if you shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day. Notice it's hearken diligently. Pay attention or listen. This word listen in the Hebrews is the word shama, which means listen and respond to what you hear. Don't just listen, you need to respond. In other words, listen and obey. James chapter 1 verse 22 through 25 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. 
For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass or in a mirror. For he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. There's a blessing on doing the word of God that you're taught. Listen and obey. Hear and do. Because if you don't put into practice after you hear it, you will forget that you heard it. And even if you forget that you heard it, you're still accountable for what you heard. People say, well, just because I didn't come to church, I'm not accountable for it. Yes, you are, because God told you to go to church. You didn't show up. You're still accountable for the word you didn't hear. Hear and obey. Keep yourself in a constant place where you can hear the word of God so that you can do the word of God. But also in John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So, yes, you must hear the word of God, the written word of God preached and taught, and you must read it. But you also must listen to the voice of the Spirit of God. It says the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Your spirit, Proverbs says, is the candle of the Lord. That's how he leads you. So God talks to you in a still, small voice. He also talks to you through peace. But so many times we override peace because we want to do what we want to do. Or we override peace because we're not listening. And then people go, oh, something told me not to do. It wasn't a something. It was a someone, but you didn't listen. You must hear and obey what God says to your spirit. Because God will warn you about things, and he will warn you about people. You're like, oh, that relationship was so hurtful to my life. He warned you not to talk to them in the first place. He warned you not to call them back. But if you ignore that, you're setting yourself up for damage. I like what a friend of mine preached this week. He said, stop digging into dry wells. Stop calling your ex back. You have to leave things alone. You have to leave things in the past. You need to follow the leading of God's spirit. He'll check you about things you're about to say. But because you've become proficient in being petty, you want to say it anyways. But then you sacrifice the power of God and you miss out on your miracle. You have to follow the leading of God's spirit. You must hear and obey. Because what he's saying to you, where he's leading you, is always a place where heaven pours itself out. You might say, well, I don't understand. It's going to make me look weak if I do that. I don't understand. It's going to make me miss out if I do that. Well, God doesn't understand if I do this, I will receive what I really need. No, if you do that, you'll receive what you really need. You'll receive what you really want, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And he says he gives you all things to richly enjoy. While you're doing everything that you know how to meet your needs, even though God said, I want to meet your needs, if you would listen to God, he would give you things richly to enjoy. You're still trying to live like an Egyptian. Working like a slave in Egypt, living like an Egyptian, trying to get by in life when God wants you to be in the promised land where he can, yes, you can work with God says, I want to surprise you with things. Not just I'm trying to get my needs met. No, go beyond that. God's giving you the desires of your heart. Then God just surprises you with things. Not giving you things just to get your needs met, but giving you things for you to enjoy. God wants to get you to a place where someone blesses you with something. like, God, where did that come from? I didn't even pray about it. But God said, I knew you enjoyed it. I just want to bless you. But you can't get those blessings if you keep acting like Egyptians. Acting like Egyptians sleeping with Canaanites, you can't get God's best. You got to leave the past behind and walk with God. If you want to experience heaven on earth, you got to cancel your covenants with hell. If you're going to experience heaven on earth, you must cancel your covenants with hell. People are always talking about soul ties. Well, you wouldn't have them in the first place if you didn't go with them. And if you choose to leave them in the past, God will free you of those thoughts. But you must walk with God. We talk about this being a year of the Holy Ghost and fire. You draw near to God, the fire of God will burn up all the stuff of the past. But you must decide to let it go and stop talking about it. Oh, I got free at church today. But then you talk about it the next day and you bring it back up. 
So either God's going to free you or you're going to run your mouth about it. Pick. God wants you to live in the promised land, not stuck in Egypt or dying in the wilderness, walking in circles all the time. God's voice and his word will always lead you to the place and path of rain. You must hear and obey to experience heaven on the earth. Go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. God wants you to experience heaven on the earth. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Our prayer life is connected to us experiencing heaven on earth. You're not going to experience heaven on earth if you're just never praying and never seeking God, never talking to God, never communicating with God, never fellowshipping with God. It's God's desire for what's in heaven to be on earth. The earth. Now, as you walk this way, Satan will try to stop you from experiencing heaven on earth because he has a desire too. He wants you to experience hell on earth, then die and go to hell. So he will try to stop what God is doing. He will try to stop what you're trying to do following God. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Because if you're going to experience heaven on earth, you got to deal with the enemy. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. When you read chapter 1, it talks about how God raised Jesus from the dead and raised him far above all things, put all things under his feet. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul goes on and says, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he raised you from the dead. When God set Jesus in heavenly places, he set you in heavenly places. So it's not like you just go to heaven, oh, maybe God will let me in today. You got a reserved spot. You got the best seat in the house. God put you in his seat. So come here, sit down. So what happens? Your seat represents your authority. You must exercise your authority over the enemy if you expect to experience heaven on the earth. You must use the authority he's given you in Ephesians 2 and in the name of Jesus. So when you start your day, yes, you plead the blood of Jesus over yourself and over your family, over the things God has called you to do. You plead the blood of Jesus over your car, I plead the blood of Jesus over my vehicle. Bumper to bumper, side to side, no one will hit me, I'll hit no one. I plead the blood of Jesus, go down my family's name. Spirit, soul, body, everything God has called us to do, everything that concerns us, everything we own. I plead the blood of Jesus over the neighborhood I live in, over the city I live in. And then I said, Satan, I bind you, and I bind the spirit of terrorism. I bind in these areas domestic terrorism, foreign terrorism. I bind school shootings, theater shootings, church shootings, mall shootings, mass shootings, mass stabbings. I bind gang activity. I bind drug trafficking, sex trafficking, and theft. I bind these things in the name of Jesus. What am I doing? I'm sitting in my seat using my authority. I bind these things in the name of Jesus. Father, all these things are open and naked unto you and whom we have to deal. So I pray that you reveal them unto those who are in authority. Help them, fight for them, with them, and through them. Assist them and stop these things from happening. Because if the church continually uses their authority, these things can happen in the area. But if the church leaves their authority alone, these things will happen, and we'll always do a hashtag going, pray for so-and-so, pray for so-and-so. How could this happen? How did God let this happen? The question is not how did God let this happen. The question is how did the church let it happen? You must use your authority. 
I call for changes in government. While I'm praying for this, Father, I pray that you deliver them from wicked, unreasonable men, and I pray that you remove wicked and unreasonable men from their midst. Remove the ungodly, the hateful, and the biased who will use their power to hurt the innocent. I call for them to be removed, and Father, I ask you to replace them with those you call to be there. And I pray specific things for those in authorities and officers that they're protected, that God will deal with their heart, that God will give them wisdom and split-second decisions. What am I doing? I'm using my prayer life, I'm using my authority to bring heaven on the earth. But this is a consistent place you must take every day. You must use your authority. Your kids are going to school. You plead the blood of Jesus over them, and you use your authority for that school. No, there will not be any school shootings. No, there will not be any progression of perversion in that school. I use my authority. I command those demons to shut up now. You have to know how to use your authority. See, growing up, my mom would talk to me and my brothers about using our authority when it came to our work because she was working in corporate America. She would teach us, you need to learn how to remove wicked bosses through prayer. You know how to use your authority. And so when things would come up, uh, we and my brothers got older and we had different jobs. If bosses try to try us, if they did things ungodly and wickedly, we knew how to take it in prayer. And within weeks, maybe a few months, they were gone. Use your authority. Stop playing a victim. You have authority. You must use it. You must bind the enemy, and you must plead the blood. You must talk back to different attacks, different things that happen. One of the things we're taught growing up, because we grew up in the word of faith, we grew up in faith. And one of the things that would happen when I was growing up, especially in my younger teenage years, it's like every Thanksgiving, I'd get sick, right before Thanksgiving. That's the worst time to be sick. Because I would lose my appetite, and I couldn't eat. And I really liked to eat. I could really put food away. Like my entire life, I could put it away. And so everyone would be eating, and I'd be in my room sick. And then one of the times, a lot of times when I would get sick, not only would he have the normal things to sick, I would begin to lose my voice. My mom reminded me one time, I said, you're called to preach, right? He says, of course, when you get sick, the enemy will try to take your voice. You need to use your authority and not let them do it. So since then, I've been healthy every Thanksgiving. <laughs> I've gained weight every Thanksgiving, <laughs> but I've been healthy. And so when sickness comes, disease comes, they say it's flu season. Oh, no, you ain't going to. I got stuff to do. Oh, it's supposed to be a bad flu season. Well, not for me and my house. Use your authority. Do the natural things. Cover your neck up. Use a scarf. Take vitamin C. Drink more water. But also take the word of God and respond back. You start coughing, no, I ain't got time. Who got time for that? Really? Come on. Use your authority and fight back. Stop settling for things. God has given you authority. You must use it. And you exercise your authority by the words of your mouth. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, the message version says, So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what's going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. To experience heaven on earth, you must see things from heaven's perspective. So that means you can't look at every problem as something, oh me, oh my, let me go cry about it. Because what you may see as an insufficiency, heaven sees as a seed. Peter and the disciples saw this little boy's lunch saying, we don't have enough to feed these people. Jesus, you said to feed them, we don't have enough to do it. You called me to do this, but I can't do it. What they saw is not enough, Jesus saw as more than enough. Because Jesus asked them, he said he already knew what he was going to do. So what looked like not enough when placed in the hands of Jesus, the blessed one, became more than enough to feed tens of thousands of people. What do you see in your life that looks like it's not enough? What excuses have you made? What life decisions have you made because you said, I don't have enough, I can't go forward? When it's really a seed. And God gives you everything you need to do what he's called you to do. Some people say, well, God leads by what he provides. 
Well, sometimes God also leads by what he doesn't provide. And you have more than enough to do what he's called you to do. It's just do you have the passion to get it done? It's like the four friends who took their friend to Jesus. Everyone needs some crazy faith people to get your tail out of bed. So this man was sick. You learned that it was because he didn't live the way he was supposed to do. He had sin in his life. But they knew Jesus was there in the town. And so the four friends came by, put him on this mattress-like thing, and carried him. This is dedication. This is friendship. This is faith. It's the faith of the four people to take him and the faith of the one person not to fight them. But they get to the house where Jesus was, and it's packed. It's overflowing. All these donkeys are outside. Can't get inside. Most people go, oh, church is too crowded today. I need to go home. Oh, it's too hot. It's too cold. I need to go home. And they would have given up there. But passion finds a way. Dedication finds a way. And so, it's like, but we could get them through that roof. So somehow they get their friend on the roof. And they begin to cut a hole in said roof. And these four people begin to lower him down, lower him down, lower him down. And you know, Jesus is teaching. There was a coin. And the woman went to go find a coin. There was a lost sheep. He's telling an amazing parable. He's teaching the word of God. And this dust is falling from the ceiling. Jesus keeps on teaching. Some straw falls from the ceiling. Jesus keeps on teaching. Big piece of straw falls from the ceiling. Big piece of roof. And here comes this guy. Lowered down. Who knows if they lowered him down softly. They may think, well, he's already sick and paralyzed. Might as well just drop him. <laughs> we got him this far. And we know the end of the story. Jesus said, your sins have forgiven you. He heals the man. He gets up and walks away, carrying his mat away. But it wasn't just the power of God who did it. It was the dedication and the passion of faith people. It's not settling for excuses of why you can't get there, why you can't fulfill your purpose, why you can't do it. How dare we say we can't when God already said we can't? If you're going to experience heaven on earth, you've got to let go of excuses. And you must pursue with passion what God has called you to do, saying what I have is more than enough to handle what's in front of me. Because even if it seems like it's not enough, when heaven gets involved, it becomes more than enough. Heaven has a way of multiplying the smallest things and making it too much. What is that? Fullness to overflow. Matthew 16, 610. Remember we said it, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. God wants what is in heaven to fill the earth. God wants what's in heaven to fill the earth. So what's in heaven? One of the things in heaven is the glory of God. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge or the intimate knowing or the awareness of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Heaven is filled with the glory of God. And by definition, the glory of God is heavy with everything good. Heaven is also referred to as the storehouse of God. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 12 says, The Lord shall open to you his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto thy land in his season and to bless all the work of your hand and you shall lend unto many nations and you shall not borrow. The word treasure here in the scripture means storehouse or treasure house. So heaven is also the storehouse of God. Heaven is the treasure house of God. And so I hear ministers, Brother Copeland and others talking about, and Sister Billy, talking about God's storehouse. And they would say, God's got parts in heaven, replacement parts. Something happens to your organ on earth, God's got another one already waiting for you. God has a storehouse for you. God has things reserved for you. How do I know that? Psalm 31, 19 says, oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for them that fear you. 
which you have wrought for them that trust in you before the sons of men. What does that mean? God has goodness reserved with your name on it. If you revere the Lord, if you follow the Lord, if you worship the Lord, there is goodness laid up for you in heaven. There is a storehouse with your name on it in heaven where the goodness laid up, not for you to get, when you get to heaven, but you to experience on the earth. Because that's how he wraps that goodness in the presence of the sons of men. So everybody watching who doesn't believe, they see the goodness of God manifest in a great abounding way. He has that laid up for you. But what does Malachi 3.10 say? Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there be meat in my house, and prove me or put me to the test now. Hear what says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of what? And pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So in order to access what's in your storehouse, you must access it by faith and obedience. Bringing your tithe and your offering is an operation of faith and obedience. Prayer is an operation of faith and obedience. Praise and worship is an operation of faith and obedience. Doing what the Bible says is an operation of faith and obedience. Walking in love is an operation of faith and obedience. And if you're walking a life of faith and obedience, heaven can open up and pour out what's in the storehouse for you. What is the amount? More than you can receive. What is that? Fullness to overflow. God wants heaven to overflow your life. He doesn't want you just to live on earth and then to get to heaven and then be so glad. He wants you to be glad on earth, experience in heaven, and then to get to heaven and enjoy it some more. God wants you to have days of heaven on the earth. But it's not automatic. You must access it with faith and obedience. What also is in heaven? The angels of God. Billions and billions of angels. Hebrews calls them ministry spirits sent to minister unto us who are heirs of salvation. Psalm 103 says they excel in strength. They hearken to the voice of God's word, doing all his commandments and all his pleasure. They're sent to assist us and to help us in our everyday life. There's no promise that you'll see your angel on earth. But there is promise you'll see the operation in your life. John 151, Jesus talked to one of his disciples. And he says unto him, verily, verily, I tell you the truth. I say unto you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So this one disciple was going to have his eyes open through the discerning spirits and see the operation of what's going on. But everyone else didn't see what was going on. But this lets you know every time Jesus was going somewhere, every time he was ministering, every time he was healing, every time he was doing miracles, there are angels coming from heaven to assist him. Angels going up back to heaven. It's a continual cycle of angels. So wherever Jesus put his feet, heaven was touching the earth. And it wasn't just for Jesus. It's supposed to be for you. One of the confessions I make is wherever my feet touch the ground, heaven touches the earth. I am the place where two dimensions meet. I'm the place where heaven pours itself out. Because remember, he's pour you out a blessing. He wants to pour it out on you. He wants you to be a channel where heaven flows into the earth. Because if there's enough channels where heaven's flowing into the earth, the earth overflows with heaven. The earth is supposed to look like heaven. Because when the earth was made, it was made in a mirror image of heaven. God wants us to experience days of heaven upon the earth. Angels went before the children of Israel to grant them victory in the promised land. And you need the ministry of angels to succeed this year which means you have to walk by faith and obedience, and you have to watch your mouth. Because if you're always talking doubt and unbelief, always talking about I can't, your angels won't be able to work. Because it says, Psalm 3, they hearken to the voice of God's word. So you keep your word, the word of God in your mouth like Joshua, day and night, speaking it, saying the word. Your angels have something to work with. One of the things you need to do every day is tell your angels, go for it, bring the money to me that I need. Go get it. You need to give your angels something to do. And that's a good thing to have them do. You assign angels, protect my kids today. Keep them safe. Keep trifling people away from them. Your kids are older. Angels, you keep Andy the Amalekite away from him. 
You keep Connor the Canaanite away from her. Give your angels something to do. Angels are involved with people meeting. How do you know that? When Abram wanted Isaac to marry someone good, he said, God will send his angel before you. So if your angels can bring the right person into life, they sure enough can keep the wrong person from entering in. Keep the word of God in your mouth so your angels have something to do. And you don't bind the ministry of angels. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, writing this down. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So we understand that unless you're saved, unless you're born again, you're not going to see the goodness the kingdom God has to offer you. But then also when I was looking at that translation, in a margin of my Bible, it also says next to born again. It says born from above. You are born from above. Heaven is your home. The Old Testament patriarchs had this revelation because it said they sojourned as strangers, as foreigners in the land, looking for a better country, a heavenly country. You have to remember where your home really is. And that your ambassadors on this earth, sent by heaven, backed by heaven, empowered by heaven, supposed to bring the will of heaven into the earth. You're supposed to impose the will of heaven on the earth. You're born from above. Last scripture. Let's go to Luke chapter 22, verse 42. 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 Jesus is praying, saying, Father, if you be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. Jesus said, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To fully experience heaven on earth, you must fully submit to the will of God. You have to give God your full yes. Not just yes sometimes, not just yes in church. You're full yes. Let this be a year of fullness where you give God your full yes. That means not compromising, but living fully for him. Not looking for excuses. Not trying to live in the gray. My friend David Winston says, all gray is a lighter form of darkness. says, well, I'm not in the darkness completely, but I'm in the middle of the road. And God doesn't have your full yes. We sang it earlier, surrender all to him. Give yourself away, withholding nothing. A lot of us were singing it today, but we didn't really mean it. There's so many people in here holding on to things, holding on to situations, Holding on to past relationships. Holding on to things you should have left in 2017. That you're going forward trying to start this new year, but it's not going to be what you want it to be because you're still holding on things that you need to let go. Habits, decisions, choices, activities. That you already know God has dealt with your heart about letting go. God needs your yes today. You need your yes more than God needs your yes. So stand to your feet. You need to give God your yes if you want to experience heaven on earth.
if you want to experience days of heaven on earth, you must tell Jesus yes. And there's some of you who are believers in here. And you need to give God your yes, your full yes. So render all to him. And some of you, as I'm talking about this, you've already seen in your heart that you need to come to the altar and get on your knees and worship him and say yes. If that's you, you come and do it right now. Give God your yes. Surrender fully to him. No more compromising. No more half-stepping. Give him your yes today. some people in here, you're saved, but you're not living for God. You've been doing your own thing, going your own way, but you realize you need to recommit your life to Jesus. You realize you need to rededicate your life to Jesus. Start to say yes and ask him to forgive you. If that's you, you come down here now too. Come and give God your yes. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.